Welcome to Club Natters, a new podcast from Sport England and Club Matters on grassroots sports. I'm Glenn Moore. And I'm Robin Cowan. And thanks for listening to our first episode. Running a grassroots sports club can be tremendously rewarding, but also time-consuming. We're going to try to make the second part of that equation easier so you have more time to enjoy the first part. Throughout this series, we're going to be covering some of the most important issues facing grassroots sports clubs today. Hearing from experts, volunteers and people who help provide community sport across the country. We'll also speak to a few household names. Whilst we will do our very best to entertain and interest you, above all else we want Club Natters to be as helpful to you as possible. So we'll be showing you where you can get the answers, advice and support you may need from Club Matters. Club Matters is the one-stop shop for sports clubs of all sizes in England, providing free support, information, advice, learning and guidance on all aspects of running or setting up a club. It's home to online modules and training for everything you need to know about things like finance, accessibility, marketing, diversity, fundraising, safeguarding or governance, as well as plenty more hints and tips that will help you run your club in the best way possible. Club Matters is also where you can find out about Clubmark, the universally acknowledged accreditation scheme for community sports clubs in England. We'll be talking about Clubmark and its benefits throughout the series and hearing from the people and clubs who have benefited from the process. In each episode of Club Natters, we're going to cover a hot topic affecting grassroots sport, bring you expert advice about what you can do for your sports club. We'll also hear from some famous names in English sport in Club Matters Meets, where they'll talk about their own experiences of grassroots participation, the people that inspired them, and the importance of recognising staff and volunteers and giving back to the sporting community. We are honoured to be speaking to hockey and Olympic royalty in our first episode, Kate and Helen Richardson-Walsh. So listen out for that. And we finish each episode by asking you to help each other out. It's a certainty that if your club has a problem, another club has already found a solution. We are here to share that knowledge. If you have any questions you need answering and feel your fellow sports clubs can help, tweet us at Club Matters or comment on our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Sport England Club Matters. So let's get going. We're going to dive straight into a very important and timely issue for clubs across the country, data protection. Technology has been a real boon to those of us running teams and clubs. For example, no longer does the coach have to ring every player to tell them the kick-off time, you just send out a message to the team's WhatsApp or group text. All those scraps of paper keeping track of results and averages or phone numbers and addresses are now on computer. But there's also a responsibility to keep that information safe, not just morally, but legally, and clubs need to know their responsibilities. The new General Data Protection Regulation, or GDPR, comes into force on the 25th of May 2018, and there are a number of steps that sports clubs are going to have to take to comply with the new law. Glenn caught up with Ed, a data protection expert from law firm Mills and Reeve, who's going to help us make sense of all this and explain what sports clubs need to do. Welcome to Club Natters, Ed. Thanks, Glenn. Good to be here. Data protection should be something that sports clubs are already aware of, but why are these changes being introduced? 
Yeah, so exactly like you say, the current law is the Data Protection Act, and it's been around for the last 20 years. And uh, so technology and the processes that we have around personal data have moved on considerably since then. And the EU is looking to update the current laws um, with this new regulation. And exactly like you say, it's coming to force 25th of May 2018. It's generally an update on what we currently have. It doesn't change a lot of stuff that we have, but there are some enhanced things to be aware of, um, particularly if you're a sports club. I understand this will affect, say, Manchester United with their thousands of season ticket holders and millions more fans who may have provided the club with personal data at some point. But what about a football club with one team and 20 players that plays on a Sunday morning? How big does the club need to be before it needs to worry about this? Yeah, you're absolutely right. A club like Manchester United is going to have absolutely tons of data that they hold on fans and their players. Um, but even at the small scale level, you're still going to need to handle personal data just in order to build up a community, build up a team spirit, engage individuals and allow members to contact each other. So what sort of form? I mean, you sort of assume computers and stuff like that, but it sounds like you're also talking about bits of paper. Yeah, again, um, even if, if you've got it in paper, as long as it's in a filing system, then that's personal data that's going to be covered by this new regulation. Um, so, I, I mean, most organisations and clubs are going to have information in electronic format nowadays, but there's still going to be filing cabinets full of paper information, um, and that's still going to be something you need to take a look at to make sure that you're complying with these, these principles under the regulation. So in terms of coping with the new laws, what were the first steps in managing it? I mean, presumably they have to do some kind of audit. Yeah, an audit's a great first step. So raise awareness amongst the people that you work with, with your staff about this new regulation, and then go and take a look about the points where you engage individuals. So where are you collecting data? And then what you're doing with that data beyond that. And a lot of clubs probably haven't gone through this process for a while and don't know which areas data is being held, which places it's being transferred to. Um, it's a really good idea to go and take a look at all of that. And what happens when people leave? I mean, presumably this stuff is still sitting in a filing cabinet on the bottom of a file. Yeah, so again, if people are leaving, you're going to have to have a good reason to hold data beyond the term of their membership. And there might be some really good administrative reasons why you need to keep data for a certain period of time. But if you've got an expired member's personal information, their bank details and their home address sitting in a filing cabinet for, from the last 20 years, it's going to be hard to justify why you actually need to have that information. I have a strong suspicion that the clubs I've been involved in, there's not a massive amount of awareness about this. Is, is that the first issue, trying to get people more, to know more about it? Yes, yeah, so um, it, exactly podcasts like this is probably a great first step to get people raise awareness about the GDPR and get people thinking about it. Um, and then it's going into your organisation and just filtering that knowledge around. So telling people that there is a new regulation coming in, here are the things that we need to think about. And that's things like retaining data and the purpose for which you have it and ex just what types of information. Is it sensitive? Is it standard? Have a look. Uh, a lot of clubs, you've already got people who are doing two jobs already or three jobs. Do they now need to have someone else do another job, the information officer? Well, I'd say it's a good idea to at least have somebody who people can go to to say, oh, I've got this uh, issue that I think is a privacy-related issue. Um, can I talk to you about it? It doesn't need to be a formal position, but having somebody who's a point of contact and has a level of awareness that they can then give to people who need to know about it, that's a really good idea. And in terms of um, people giving consent, is it just a matter of making sure there's a box they tick? 
Well, consent uh, under the current system, um, as you say, having a box that you've ticked is a pretty good way of getting consent. Under the new law, it's going to be uh, an enhanced level of consent. So you need to be giving people quite a bit more information up front so that the consent is clear and specific and informed. And then giving, uh, making sure they've indicated very clearly that they're happy to agree with it. So you get a lot of marketing type stuff where the box is already ticked or you can click, uh, you can click through to the service without actually actively consenting to anything um, under the GDPR you're going to be looking at getting active consent which means having somebody take an action such as ticking a box yes I think we're all aware when you buy something there will be a box you want to see market information so, so clubs basically have to be much more careful about that sort of thing yeah, so um, if you're relying on consent, so for example, if somebody's coming to you and giving you disability access information so that they can use a golf buggy, for example, um, that's when you want to have a clear form that says, this is the information we'll take, this is how it's going to be used, um, do you consent to us having it? And that's going to be really helpful. Are there any special regulations regarding children? So with children, just an extra layer of carefulness is the first thing that I'd say. So if you're giving information directly to children, it's going to have to be in a form that they can understand. Um, and then make sure that you're getting parental consent at the point at which you need it. And the laws on this are still being ironed out. Um, and that's a topic that sports clubs should take a look at when it comes to it. In terms of the other end, people become more aware of this. So presumably there may now be an increased number of people who are asking their sports club, so what data have you got on me? Um, What's the process there? Yeah, I think that's likely. So what we have with the new regulation is an increased level of rights that are given to individual people. And I think we're just going to see a lot more interest from individuals about how organisations, not just sports clubs, but how organisations in general are using their information. And you might then get people exercising those rights, which could be making a request to you for the information that you hold about them, how you're doing it, who you're disclosing it to. Um, or you could get people making a request for you to stop certain processing if they don't like what you're doing. You'd then have to take a view about whether you could continue to justify that processing. Has this process speeded up? Well, it has, yes. So um, in, in some ways it has, in other ways it's been made a bit more manageable. So the current timescales for responding to an access request, like you mentioned, is 40 days. It's the long stop period, though you're meant to do it very promptly. Um, under the new regulation, you've got a calendar month within which to respond. So there's a slight shortening there, but there are ways to manage those requests if you're finding it difficult. And always communication with the person who's made the request is particularly important just to manage them. Uh, and in terms of the more serious stuff, breaches of data obviously can be quite bad. In What's the procedure there and what particular stuff will be very sensitive? Yeah, completely agree. A data breach is probably going to be the point when your systems for privacy are most tested. So these are systems like who do you report to? How do you get the information out to people who've been affected by the breach? Um, and also just taking consideration of the scale of the breach, what the risks are if data's got out there in the world, if you've CC'd a load of bank information um, and sent that out to, to the whole world by accident, that's the kind of risk that you want to avoid. But if it does happen, then that's when your privacy arrangements will kick in. If you've got the right stuff up front, it's going to be a lot easier to manage that when it happens. And if you get it wrong, what are the possible consequences? Well, the, you will quite often get complaints from the individuals who've been affected and those complaints can be better or worse depending on how you've managed the um, managed the situation up front 
And then if it's a really serious breach, then the regulator, who's the information commissioner's office, can occasionally get wind of complaints and come and take a look at your processes and why it's happened and potentially take enforcement action based on that. I think there's probably very few clubs who will be on the receiving end of enforcement action, but it's definitely something that could happen, so worth paying attention to. Uh, uh, finally, I gather these new rules have been brought in by the EU, as you said, ironically to allow citizens to take back control of their own data. What happens if and when we leave the EU? Will these regulations remain? Yeah, it's a good question. So just purely in terms of timing, the regulation is going to take effect from 25th of May this year, and we're not going to have left the EU then. So there's going to be a compliance deadline where people need to comply no matter what. Then beyond Brexit, we're looking at having some UK-specific laws that are pretty much along the same terms and principles as the current regulation. So comply with it in the immediate future and then you're going to be likely to need to comply with it beyond that. Thanks Ed. I hope that's been useful to everyone. There are some top tips on how to implement GDPR on the Club Matters website and full details on the website the Information Commissioner's Office which has a nice short address ico.org.uk It's time now for our regular interview feature Club Matters Meets where we talk to notable English sports people about their own experience of grassroots sport. We all have to start somewhere. From David Beckham to Jessica Ennis-Hill to Anthony Joshua, Grassroots is where it all began for virtually all the successful athletes we see on our television screens. In each episode, we'll be catching up with top athletes to find out about those first important steps. Except this episode, when we're very lucky to be able to speak with not one, but two Olympic champions, Kate and Helen Richardson-Walsh, both gold medalists from the 2016 Team GB women's hockey team. Glenn caught up with them, and started by asking Kate and Helen about the first hockey clubs they joined. Helen, Kate, thanks for joining us. Um, we all saw you in Rio, delaying the 10 o'clock news while you were winning a gold medal. But it's a long path to the podium. How important were the early days at the grassroots in providing the platform for what you've gone on to achieve? Uh, Helen? Um, I think it was massively important. Uh, it, I guess in terms of becoming a professional athlete, it gave me... The, the best grounding I could have possibly have hoped for um, in terms of my technique and my skills and my ability to play the game. Um, you know, we would spend hours, hours every Sunday just drilling, you know, the push pass and the trap and, you know, things like, you know, that we take for granted um, and that are so fundamental in, in a hockey match. You know, you can't, you can't play without those fundamental skills. And I feel really grateful um, to the guys that were teaching me that they you know really valued those basic skills um and that gave me a great grounding and then beyond that just growing as a person and as an individual being able to converse with much older men um which was more often the case and and obviously there were other parents as well around and and being able to work as a team and the social element and um, yeah, just so many different ways that it, it helped me grow, not just as a hockey player, but as a as a human being, as a, as a person. Um, really gave me the, the the good grounding into the you know the the world of a professional athlete, but also in in the world in general, um, and wherever that may take me from now on. Yeah, I think for me it was. Um... A lot of the stuff I gained from, certainly from my first club um, that I played at was 
um, lots of things in terms of my personal development. So I was really shy and had done lots of individual sports. Um, and it was the first time I'd played a team sport and been around a team all the time. And, and I think just being in that team environment, you have to learn very quickly to interact with people who are different to you and that you have differences of opinion with and really different ages and, and different in every way. And just learning learning to, to cope with that, I suppose, as a, mm. as a person, as a young person. Um, and that really helped my confidence over the years. You know, it took, took a while, um, but me to feel comfortable in those social situations and you know we have to get up and sing with the hockey team at Christmas carols at Christmas and you know yes yes you know you're doing that with your teammates and it gives you that again that safe space to to kind of put yourself out of your comfort zone a little bit more often um and I think then as I grew up and developed through the club system I I learned to love the discipline of training I used to hate running when I was younger um my dad used to try and get me and my sister to, to go out running and we absolutely hated it but um I think growing up amongst that hockey club and then being able to look up to, to inspirational players to see those internationals and to train with them as I as I grew up and started playing at club, you thought, right, well, this is what you need to do to be the best you can be, and I want to be like them, I, you know. So I'm going to do whatever it takes to be to be like them. It just gave you that inspiration and aspiration. Mm. Yeah, I think like being pushed out of your comfort zone is is one of the key things. It it probably gave us both. Um, you know, we've had conversations actually about having to. <laughs> You know, just pick up the phone and ring a coach <laughs> to say that you might not be able to go to training um, because you're not, you know, you're not feeling very well or, or, or another reason. And, and having to do those things isn't necessarily easy for everybody. Um, and you have to learn to do them. And you, sometimes you just have to get on and do it. Um, so, yeah, some very valuable lessons that we learned very on in our life. I think probably also coping with like failure as well. Yeah. Like, obviously, you've got losing games talent. I touched on earlier coming back to the club and you know just dealing with that loss or you're not you're not being promoted or maybe relegation even for the whole season or just yourself not having a good game or run of games even or not being selected for the first team or the second team and and just having to cope with those little ups and downs and injuries and mm. just yeah, constantly constantly yeah but you just get on with it because yeah. it's, it's normal you learn how to mm. yeah cope with those little failures along the way happy days eh uh, looking back at those days, is there anyone in particular, a volunteer or a club member, who, who made the difference? Oh, goodness. Uh, so many. Um, hard to pick out um, any individuals, I guess, from my first club at West Bridgeford. Uh, you know, and I've been lucky. Well, I've, I've gone back a, a few times after having won Olympic medals and kind of shared that with that club. And, and it's really lovely. And they welcome me back in, in such a nice way. And I've kind of already said thank you to these people but Bob Douglas is someone who was there every Sunday morning he kind of is Mr West Bridgeford Hockey Club um, or West Bridgeford Monarchs Hockey Club as it is now with the women's teams as well that are thriving you know somebody needs to be there on a Sunday morning running all of that stuff and coordinating the other coaches and, and making sure the the children are safe and um, and are learning good stuff so yeah I think Bob Douglas from my first club, certainly. I'm really struggling to pick out one person, yeah. um, just because I think it was always a bit of a team effort. Because there's so much work that goes in around running a club or a team, it it tends to fall on as many people as possible, doesn't it? You have to mm. try and share out the responsibilities, and and I think over the years, it's the it's the people who you know are looking after the the grounds, who are behind the bar, who are making the food um, for the after match teas. People that are obviously coaching and having that interaction 
week to week as well with you. But I think, you know, people like um, the Double Ds, we used to call them at Reading. So Denise and Debbie, who used to do the food for us at Reading, like those are the people who are the heart and soul of a club. Like they know everybody in the club. They interact with everybody in the club, the home and the away teams. And it wouldn't survive without the time they give, and they give it because of the love for the of the sport and the people. And I think as much as possible, we try and say thank you to to all of the volunteers, um, you know, hockey makers who do the now the international competitions for um, in this, that we've run in this country. Again, those competitions, those events couldn't run without all of those incredible volunteers. And we're so lucky, particularly from our in hockey aren't we We just have so many people that love the game and want to put back into the sport yeah definitely you know there's a kind of I think there's probably um you know when I was growing up I was kind of early teens um my mum suddenly wasn't able to drive for medical reasons and um there's there was one person who would always come and pick me up in fact well there's a few but there was um I just remember Dysully just being someone who really helped me get to get to training you know it was kind of it was about a half an hour drive um and she she played as well but she was just so helpful and you know there will be so many of those people but you, you none of us can do it without that kind of help there's always going to be a problem um you're always going to need support at some point and you can't do it by yourself and so yeah we're just both extremely grateful to all those people that have helped us and continue to do it at the hundreds of hockey clubs around the country um willingly for for the good of the sport and good of young people and and old people (laughs) everyone yeah as you said all clubs need volunteers when it's all over for you guys and you've hung up your hockey sticks for good will you be going back to volunteer and try and develop a new generation of olympians we already are (laughs) yeah yeah, we we um we we go into well we try and go into as many um clubs in particular we we're, were at um one uh, recently uh, well yesterday in fact uh, Westbury down near Bristol um and yeah so we uh, we'll try and volunteer our time as as often as possible um you know we've opened pitches to inspire schools and um, give coaching sessions because we really appreciate what everyone's done for us and we know we wouldn't be here without those people so want to try and give back as as much as possible yeah and it's definitely part of our um vision in the lead up to rio was to um inspire the future and and every one of the 31 um, members of that team you know were and are continuing to go out into clubs and schools and and everywhere they possibly can to in with their you know lives whether they're playing hockey or not anymore um to to say thank you to those volunteers and to go and give back that time that's been given given to us and you know whether that is coaching or as Helen said I'm going to help with opening a pitch or even just going down to just watch a you know watch a game and support your local club I think there's lots of of fantastic work going on from all of the senior international players and and long may that continue. Yeah and I think there's other roles as well that are kind of more behind the scenes so there's a lot of people that sit on committees um, which is we've we've both done and, and will continue to do and be part of, of you know the the kind of sport behind the scenes as well it's not necessarily what can be seen but um, there's so much work that, that goes on behind the scenes that, that I mean quite frankly we don't even know about yeah, and yeah. and um, yeah so any time that we can 
give back to the sport, we'll we'll give uh, gladly. Thanks. And finally, do you have a message for all the volunteers out there making sport possible for so many people? Just a massive thank you, and that we're we've both benefited from from all your support, and just yeah, everyone is is grateful, and and what you do for for not just that that local club that you're involved with, but just the wider community and the the country it makes it makes a sport what it is so yeah just a massive massive thank you yeah just again just to reiterate what Anne said just thank you because you know yes hopefully and maybe um some of the players that you will pass through your clubs will go on and, and develop as, as maybe into the athletes but um more than that you're developing really good people who are going out into society and you know really making a difference in their society and you're all role models to lots of lots of hundreds of thousands of people um and you're passing on that volunteering baton so thank you very much for all of your ridiculous hard work and time and commitment and love for the for the sports that you're all involved in a big thank you to kate and helen richardson walsh for their time a perfect illustration of just how vital grassroots sport is if you want to reach the top or like me, just run around a football pitch for two hours on a Sunday and then sink a few pints with your mates. Running a club as effectively as it sounds those clubs were run requires organisation. There is a lot to remember running a club and it can help if there are a set of standards to tick off. In this section, we're going to introduce something we'll come back to throughout the podcast series, the Sports Club Accreditation Scheme from Sport England, Clubmark. Now, Clubmark might sound like just another thing to add to the administration inbox, but being Clubmark accredited can take your club to the next level, as it shows participants, parents, guardians and supporters that a club provides the right environment to ensure the welfare of members and encourages everyone to enjoy sport and stay involved throughout their lives. Clubmark means your club is a safe, rewarding and fulfilling place for people of all ages and helps parents and carers know that they're choosing the right club for their children. We're now heading across to Horton Table Tennis Club and Ramsbottom Table Tennis Academy to hear a little about their journey in becoming club mark accredited. We're Holton Table Tennis Club based in Widnes. We were founded in 1999 in partnership with Holton Borough Council and Table Tennis England. Our club is Ramsbottom Table Tennis Academy and we formed in 2008 at the Civic Centre in Ramsbottom with four tables and about half a dozen members. More recently we've moved to a school in Bury where we now have over 35 members of which I would say 50% play competitively in the National Cadet and Junior Leagues and many have a national ranking. We originally applied for club mark in 2008 because our governing body Table Tennis England encouraged us to. It helps us develop in a very professional manner covering all aspects some of which we might have been aware of policies and procedures, others not. Club Mark has really helped us to go from a junior club to a more expansive, inclusive club. Well, we wanted to show to the community and to the Borough Council that it was a safe place for children to come and that we got good governance in place. I think with Club Mark, it gives you like a gold standard, a recognised national achievement. It does cover all aspects of running your club, including recruitment, good coaching structure, safeguarding, and I think that in itself instills confidence both for the members and the parents, which are key to the 
with success for the future. It's a kite mark to the community that it's a safe place, especially for young people and vulnerable adults to come to. To me, it's like starting off a business, uh, some things you're aware of, others you're not. Especially with the new online portal, it covers all the aspects that you need to obviously be a professional setup. It does it in a much easier process. It gives you a structure to set up your club and the progressive development of it. Because we're a small club, we set up a, a subcommittee who just did one section at a time, but we involved the parents and volunteers at every stage, so they were always kept informed and they knew where we were at. Andrea, she was our online assessor. The feedback that she gave us was invaluable. So Clubmark online is much easier now for clubs to be able to provide the information that Table Tennis England require. A lot of our volunteers, parents, play table tennis. They're aware of what Club Mark is, so they supported us throughout the process. A lot of clubs think they've not got the confidence to do Club Mark, but they have got the policies there. It's just a matter of spending time to go online, to register their interest, and then Table Tennis England will allocate a development officer to work closely with them to achieve club mark. Clubs need to be aware that the image they create by becoming a club mark club, that parents, schools, teachers, the local authorities hold them in a higher regard and they know it's somewhere safe and they will publicise your club. Club mark makes you focused on what you need to do as a club to be an even better club than you are at present. Even if you're a small club, it makes you aware of the steps you need to take and it can help you to grow into a bigger club or make an even better club of the one you've got. Club markets for everybody. Thanks to Halton Table Tennis Club and Ramsbottom Table Tennis Academy. I hope that was informative. In future episodes, we'll be speaking to more clubs that have benefited from Club Mark and have some tips and advice for clubs to become accredited. Well, we're nearly at the end of the first episode of Club Natters. If you like what you've heard, please do subscribe, review and give us a rating. And if you've got any questions about anything we've covered, let us know. In our next episode, we're going to introduce Ask a Club, which is your chance to help out other clubs who are keen for advice and best practice about running a sports club. The first question we need your help on comes from Nottingham Scorpions Aussie Rules Club. They would like advice on promoting a minority sports club. So if your club has helped people go barmy for baseball, crazy for croquet or desperate for dodgeball, get in touch. We'd love to share your expert advice on our next podcast. That's all we've got time for on this, our first episode of Club Natters. Our thanks to Ed for joining us to talk us through the GDPR changes and to Holton Table Tennis Club and Rams Bottom Table Tennis Academy for giving us a quick overview of Club Mark. Thanks also to Olympic champions Kate and Helen Richardson-Walsh for telling us their memories of grassroots hockey. Thanks too to all those who sent us questions and finally a big thanks to you for listening. Next month we're going to be talking about fundraising, gift aid and community funding so do be sure to join us for that. No one runs a community club for monetary reward but being able to generate greater financial resources can make a huge difference to the way a club functions and what it can provide for its members. And of course, do please keep your questions coming in, leave your feedback or suggest topics for upcoming episodes of the podcast. 
You can get in touch with us on Twitter at Club Matters or on Facebook. That's facebook.com forward slash Sport England Club Matters. And remember, if you need any further information on any topic discussed today or indeed anything to do with the running of your sports club, do check out www.sportenglandclubmatters.com. From me, Glenn Moore. And from me, Robin Cowan. And from Sport England. Thanks for listening.